Welcome back to the Jungle Brothers podcast. This is episode 47. Uh, you're here with Paul Photophilly to your award. Hello. Joe's not with us today. Uh, we're here with a special guest, Tim Bransden. Uh, I'm going to get you to give yourself a little intro in a second. Um, just a quick review of what's been happening in the Jungle Brothers world in the last week. We had our Jungle Brothers Christmas party on the weekend, which was nuts. It was a dress-up theme. Four days ago. Four days still ago. Still got a hangover. Still, still got a hangover. Most people are still... Uh, they've turned up. They're training and stuff like that. Heroes and villains. Heroes and villains. Yeah, it was a great bonding thing on the weekend. Uh, in other news, we've got the mezzanine that's up and running. Um, you may have seen the story on our social media. Um, it's functioning now. It's, it's looking awesome. Uh, there's still a few bits and pieces that we're taking on. And in 2020, late Jan, we'll be kicking off the full jujitsu timetable. So... If you want to get involved with some grappling here at Jungle Brothers, come and find us on junglebrothers.com or for any of your training, health, fitness needs, you can reach us on jungle, at junglebrothers.com. Um, other than that, uh, Christmas this year, we're shut a few days over Christmas, a few days over New Year's, but we're open in between. Um, we'll be here if you need anything. Last shout out is to Panavore Cafe. Tree has a coffee shop down there and he's providing the coffee for us today. Um, so we have Tim Branson, as I Trey. mentioned. Thanks, Trey. Okay, Tim. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you spend your time and a little bit about your passion for all things feet. Well, my passion for all things feet wasn't a, any sort of fetish. It's not something <laughs> I grew up. I didn't really think about feet. About. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really have problems with my feet for a long time, so I didn't really think about them. But I'm a podiatrist by trade. Been a podiatrist for 17 years. But how I treat feet now is more often polar opposite to how I did when I finished university. And so effectively, in the world of podiatry and feet, we're taught to support weakness. In the footwear industry, we are taught and told we need to support weakness. Oh, your feet roll in too far. Oh, they collapse. We can put fancy words to all sorts of things. But then we put something in that's supportive to help people out. Now, that's not always wrong. If we need a knee brace, we need a knee brace. But the thing with a knee brace is it's temporary. With a sling on the shoulder, it's temporary. Once your collarbone heals, you're going to take that sling off and your arm doesn't really work. It flops. It doesn't work. Mm. But instead of putting the arm back in the sling or making the sling tighter, you sit there and you expect and want to do some rehab to get your arm strong again. That's what changed my career as I started looking at literally a pair of orthotics I was making myself. I needed a new pair. And I thought, why the hell can't I fix my feet? Like all my other injuries from rugby and all the other sports I played, surgery, all sorts of things, they're all not just healed, they're actually stronger than they were pre-injury because I put the work in to make them strong, yet I'm making these things to stop my foot pain. And look, those things called orthotics, they worked and they helped me for years. But it made me look at it a different way and set me down a path which is literally what I live now, which is strength and conditioning for feet. Now, the crazy thing is I always say it's not revolutionary, it's not anything awesome I've invented it's taking everything I've learned from strength and conditioning for many years playing sport and having some amazing coaches, lots of different great strength and conditioning coaches, and just applying those principles to feet. And the mm. thing is, it's a low-hanging fruit because we don't spend a lot of time working on our feet, making them strong or even investing anything into them except maybe new shoes or orthotics. So it doesn't have to be complicated. It's just got to follow the principles of strength and conditioning. And Slowly but surely, I transform my feet to the point where they feel amazing, they're great. Doesn't mean they can't get a niggle. Yes, they get bindies because I'm barefoot a lot, mm. but they work really well for me. And that's how our feet start out when we're young, which is one of my big passions, which I'm sure we'll get into today. 
But yeah, effectively, strength and conditioning for feet is the, the shortest answer I can give you. And, uh, okay, cool. Uh, so with that, uh, during the day you practice podiatry out of clinic. It's your clinic. Uh, you also teach people how to run better. You train some CrossFitters and you run workshops and stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about how you're spreading that message or, or doing your work? So I am in my clinic, my podiatry clinic down in Wollongong. That's my bread and butter. That's sort of my baby. That's where everything comes out of. And then I do teach workshops. And so I might uh, go to a gym, which is how I met you boys the first yep, time. Yep. So gyms might inquire saying, look, I think our members want to hear this message. And then I'll go and teach a workshop, both here in Australia and New Zealand. I coach running. That was another part of my journey is that when I learned how to run properly, uh, properly, no, let's change that. When I learned to run efficiently, things got a little easier. And that was just another like light bulb moment. Like this is so obvious. 99.9% .9 of runners are not sprinters. When I did sprint training, which I did a lot of for my rugby as a winger, everything is drills, 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 mechanics, 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 workpiece. Every other sport, you do so many drills. Think about grappling, think about netball, think about any sport. Think about throwing a kid in the pool and seeing if they can swim. Mm. Now, generally, you're going to go down the, the swimming lessons part and see how they go. With running long distance, it's just left, right, left, right, and the body puts up with it until you have no knees left, until your Achilles is cactus. And so when I stopped playing rugby and started just running a bit more for fitness, I started messing around with running mechanics and nothing much changed. So I found two amazing coaches did their workshops and learned from them. And once I implemented their drills, everything changed. I was like, shit, this is not that hard. Yes, like whatever your goals are, fitness and running is hard. But what I meant was like running just, it was easier. It was smoother. There was less impact on the body. So then I looked around and thought, well, who's teaching these people to run? I mean, I put them in what I now call magic shoes because everyone's looking for the magic shoe that'll fix them or yeah. orthotics. But people don't get taught how to run. And in some way, shape or form, people say it's natural. We've been doing it since we're young. And yeah, if you watch a kid move, sit, push, climb, almost do anything, their posture, it's all natural. It's fabulous. But then it changes. Changes mm. with sitting, changes mm. with shoes. So I thought, hang on, all these runners that come to see me in my podiatry clinic, they need to learn how to run. And so I started looking around my shoulder thinking, who gets taught to run? And the answer is sprinters. If you go down to a track, an athletics track, there are sprint coaches there working through mechanics, mechanics, drills, 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 drills. But the 99 plus percent of people who are just running as part of a workout at a gym to lose weight, to be fit, to run their first city to surf or marathon. They're, they're jogging, they're not sprinting, right? That's right. And they don't do any drills. They just sit there and push the body a bit further, which now I say that as like if you want to squat 200 kilos and you think I'll just put an extra kilo on the bar every week till I get there, but I squat like shit, knees cave in, back round, it just everything's horrible, you'll get away with it for a while. You'll get stronger, but at some point, probably, can't say for sure, at some point, probably you're going to fall short of your goal based on technique. Mm. So that's where the running, or the running lab, which is a little part of my business, came from. And it started operating out of my clinic. So there was a podiatry clinic and the running lab, one and the same, but it just told people that I had a particular focus on running. Then the workshops came about, and that was a, I don't know how this will work. Um, how much can you teach running in one day? Because I didn't do that in the clinic. I did it over six weeks. Mm. So I ran one for friends and coaches that I knew and everybody loved it. Mm. Everybody one of them? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
You were one of the early ones, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So running coaching became a thing. And when I say coaching, it's more mechanics coaching. There's many people who write programs for runners. Good or bad, doesn't matter. And that wasn't the avenue I was looking to you know, grab a piece of that pie. There's many people who do it better than me. Then I started coaching CrossFit athletes just because I had connections there and people reaching out and that's where I was doing a lot of my workshops and then started coaching some of the higher level ones with their running and I quite enjoy that. So yeah, there's, there's different arms but you know, the hours in a day are pretty much my clinic work is my base and then if people want me to teach on a weekend, mm. then we'll discuss it. But I do limit how much teaching I do and I'm doing less now than I was before and that's just family time. Yeah, sure. So can we go back to like the greater problem and talk about for a little bit the the fact that like historically somehow we've ended up in these shoes that you know the designs are so twisted now and it's obviously led by fashion largely and somewhere along the line the sports shoe came in and then all of what I know I, I can confidently identify as lies about how they're supporting your shoe to make you run faster and more efficiently etc like where did that all start and um and like you know can we just throw some shit on it for a little bit, like the three of us? How many hours we got? <laughs> yeah. Because I know for me, I wore all those shoes. And, you know, we used to work in this film industry. It was a very laborious physical work. And I'd spend 12 hours a day, five, six days a week, whatever it was, like working in the shoes. And it used to be the Kayanos that were like the popular ones or the Fuji Asics or it was like the Beast. Uh, the Brooks. The Brooks. Yeah, oh you know, remember those? Oh, yeah. It was just like a boat with a little bit of mesh over the top. And I used to have sore knees and sore feet and it was forever. that. And, you know, I was very tight and I didn't really, wasn't aware of how tight I was um, at the time. But I had all these things. I used to just in my head go through a pair of shoes every film. I was like, I do a, I do a movie, I just get a new pair of shoes. New pair of shoes. And it wasn't until I really got influenced by Tiora some eight plus years ago when you were preaching to me and you're wearing these things around on this concrete floor. And <laughs> yeah, this the minimus. The minimus. Were they? Yeah, New Balance. The New Balance Minimus. New Balance oh, Minimus, still one of the shoes. best shoes the best. ever best made. Shoes. So good. Such a great shoe, that but one. But this guy's got actually formidable feet. His foot is impressive. And um, I started, he started opening my eyes to the whole thing and... Long story short, I bought a pair and then I started wearing them and then I got really sore calves and I did the jog around, did like a few Ks in it and I knew I couldn't keep it up and I just found that I was in and out of them. Flat studio floors, people thought I was crazy and it probably took me a good eight or ten months to break it in and then all of my sore feet, sore knees, which was the number one, we just thought it came part and parcel with the work, all went away. Um, and since then, I just wore flat flat shoes to work all the time, um, save a few days, you know, and I've got, uh, you know, wet weather boots and stuff like that. And I, there's a the type of work you take three pairs of shoes in your, in your, your kit anyway. Um, but yeah, I never took, I, I took a bit of ridicule, but over time, like I, I can, I'm a living example of it. Never looked back. Never looked back. Was that a question or a story? It was, a, it was <laughs> something wrapped up, but. All right, I'll try, I'll hit that from a couple of different angles and try and make it flow. Yeah, mainly so, for, the, for the listeners who I'm, you know, because there's still some people here in, in the gym, there's a small percentage I, I, I still want to get through to like, can we get some good shoes going? Because for me, this is like, it's just the norm now. And if it was one thing I could change for people, it's like, you know, change the footwear up. Well, I'll, I'll hit it from one angle first, go to you personally, and we'll go to knees. So we'll just talk about knees for a second, yep. then I'll come back to the shoes, okay. which is the broader topic. Now, your feet have got 33 joints in them. 
Joints are in the body for one reason, one reason alone, that's movement. So think about your elbows. If you put your arms straight and you didn't have elbows, everything in life just got harder. Think about trying to eat, think about trying to, to drink, do anything. So there are 33 joints in each foot and they're designed to be four-wheel drives for the body. They're designed to bend, twist and move in every single direction when you're on the ground so that you can adjust to whatever the ground is and whatever your body does. We are tall vertical humans, not me, I know no one can see me right now, <laughs> but we are tall vertical humans with little horizontal feet. Like as a design structure, those little feet are got to hold up whatever that vertical body does. If it bends, if it leans, if it goes left, right, going uphill, downhill. But the 33 joints are four-wheel drives. Now, if you take away those 33 joints like the Brooks Beast does, big solid plank of a shoe and many other shoes, well, if your feet aren't bending and twisting, what are your knees doing? Bending and twisting, not where they're supposed to. So your feet are designed to go in every direction. Your knees aren't designed to go in every direction. So if you take away what the feet do, then you're going to actually take more stress somewhere else. Some people will be a shin, some people will be the knees, others the hips, the back, and so on. So once you got your feet moving, they didn't automatically say thank you because now other muscles were working their butts off, muscles that didn't have to work as hard. You went from an elevated heel down to flat shoes and your calf muscles went, oh shit. And so they got sore. And it does take a long time to transition because we're talking about humans that have become deformed from shoes. Now that's the crazy thing, is that shoes deform us as a human, yet are still okay. So let's go way back to the start, and I love to start with kids. You know, kids are born, feet, whatever they are, little things, and as they start to develop, crawling around, eventually climbing, eventually standing, eventually walking, these little feet are amazing. They're broad, they're flat, and they're bare on the ground. Now you put socks on a child, what do they do? Rip them off. Put shoes on them, that's going to last about three seconds. Now, if you keep putting them on long enough, they might keep them on. And how do they walk then? Like Frankenstein. They go clunk, 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 clunk. Because they can't feel the ground anymore. So the very first thing with feet is they're supposed to feel. There is many nerve endings on the bottom of the feet as hands. So if we put gloves on our hands, we'll be able to do some stuff if the gloves are thin enough. But the thicker the glove, the less we can do. So as we go and start putting shoes on kids, they start to just you know, starts to become the norm. They start to lose some of that feel on the ground. Then when they go to school, this is where the bigger problems start for me, is that when they go to school, they're told that they need support. It is the they are the only joints in the human body that we support when healthy. So think about that for a moment. We support a knee, Joey, when injured, when broken. We support an arm when injured, when broken. We support feet when they're perfectly healthy. Now, if you supported the knee when it's healthy, you wouldn't expect it to be healthy down the line because you're not using the thing. So use it or lose it is the most easily applied principle to feet. Again, we're still talking kids. No child, age five, to my knowledge, has sat in David Jones and tried on their Clark's clunky high-heeled school shoes and said, Mummy, Daddy, I love them. Can I keep them on for the holidays? I feel unstoppable. Right. They want to rip them off, put their canvas shoes back on, put their thongs back on, run around barefoot, whatever it is. So shoes at that point are very unnatural because from age one to five, lots of kids in Australia just run around barefoot. doesn't bother them. Now, there is a little issue or caveat between the one and five is that a lot of parents with foot problems have supportive shoes and or orthotics that have helped them get out of pain. Then they think they need to do that for their kids at a young age. Now, that's like a parent 
who needs blood pressure tablets saying, oh, I'll just get a half to my kid each day just to prevent potential problems. I love how you put it. So one of the problems is that we treat kids' feet with the solution, kids' healthy feet, with the solution to broken adult feet, mm. which just doesn't make sense. Mm. So when they start school in these Clark's Ascent school shoes, they're the ones sold at the athlete's foot that are joggers in disguise. Now I grab those shoes, hand them mum and dad and say, would you run in these? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, your child is five days a week or at least four days and one day they get to wear an equally big clunky white shoe. So kids' shoes are just slimmed down in terms of length of adult shoes. Now, we'll, we can talk about adult shoes because that's different. We've been in the world a lot longer. We've adapted to certain things. But with kids' shoes, they've just shrunk them lengthwise, but they're still as thick. So that 20-kilogram child cannot make that two-centimeter thick rubber bend or twist. Now, most of the time, the rubber's designed so hard and stiff that it's not going to bend or twist anyway. Mm. That 14-millimeter elevated heel on a Clark school shoe and built into Ascent and Lynx and most of the other shoes for that body height, it's the same as us wearing three centimetres, which is considered a heel. So what you're saying is there's your adults have a certain amount of sponge and we have a certain amount of bottom body weight that can manipulate that sponge under our feet. We'll argue that later. Okay, but that's the theory. That's <laughs> the what theory. they're thinking. And yep. then they make the same for the kids, but the ratio between the body weight and the amount of sponge underneath is... It's way out of whack. way out. So I have a shoe that I built in my clinic based on the, the dimensions of a child's shoe and that, sh that child weighing 20 kilos. Now, I've built that shoe, and I take it around to my clinics, unless I only go carry-on, because that we, thing weighs a ton. It. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a good it's heavy, example. it's huge, and it's something that's real when I hand it to parents, because they can actually feel it, and I'm like, that's what your child's wearing to school. Now, when I drop my kids at school, I see these little kindergarten, particularly year one, these skinny little ankles and feet, just in these huge, clunky shoes. And the problem is the education's been so powerful for so long that it's parents doing the right thing, or at least thinking they are. My parents certainly did. They didn't put me in Clark's shoes and, the, and my three siblings because they disliked us. Well, they certainly haven't admitted that. But the fact is that they followed the education that had been around for a long time. So we've gone down a deep, dark hole, which we do in nutrition. We do in so many aspects of the world, and it's hard to sit there and admit we were wrong. But I flat out in my clinic for years told parents, oh, what I told you with your elder child, I was wrong. Because they'd bring in the youngest sibling, we'll call him Johnny, and they wanted to get checked out, something's going wrong. And they say, we're still following your rules that you said for Sarah, that not to bend here, to be stiff here, only bend at the ball of the foot, da-da-da-da-da. And I'd just look him in the face say about that I was wrong. <coughs> but then I'd explain to him why I was wrong, and they'd be so frustrated at the end, but not with me. They'd be sitting there going, like, how did we get here? Like, yeah. that makes perfect sense. That light bulb moment. Yeah, how did we get here? Now, the solution's not easy, which we'll talk about, but that's where it all starts is as kids. Once those shoes become the norm, they're worn 35 hours a week just for school, forget outside sport or anything like that. 13 years later, that's what feet know. Then we go into uni, might get a bit slack there and occasionally, you know, naughtily wear thongs or flat canvas shoes. Oh, dear. Then we go to work. And we're wearing high-heeled shoes. And I'm talking about the men. So stiff, rigid, pointy, high-heeled shoes. And everyone thinks women's. I'm like, what are the men wearing? Stiff, rigid, pointy shoes. So then they come to somewhere like Jungle Brothers or they listen to this podcast and think, oh, that makes sense. Let's ditch the shoes. Now we've got 20, 30 years conditioned to, or deconditioned is the better word, mm. to wearing these shoes. And then if we go and get a pair of New Balance Minimus, one of the best shoes ever made, and I wish we could get them easily, 
But we go and put them on, things get sore. The Achilles, the calf, the plantar fascia. And therefore, these shoes are wrong. And that's what my industry will say. And it's like, no, the shoes that deformed that human in the first place, the shoes that made that calf and Achilles 15 millimetres shorter than it once was, and now when they wear a flat shoe, it hurts. The shoes that made those feet weak are wrong. Because if you start with something good, as a child does, my job as a parent, my job as a podiatrist is to sit there and educate and help that remain good. But as adults, if we want to have healthy feet, like your story, if we want to, and mine, for that matter, if we want to have healthy feet, we've got to earn them. It's like walking in and wanting to do a 200 kilo squat. We've got to earn the healthy feet. Mm. So for the kids, that's the easy one. Their feet are good. Let's keep them that way. We'll talk about how in a moment. But for the adults, it's not, simple. It's not as simple as ditching your Kayanos and your Brooks Beast and whatever the Nike Vaporfly and the newest one is. <laughs> but hey, they're breaking world records all over the place with their running. So therefore, that's the best shoe for running, right? Now these runners, going off on tangent, as we do, these runners who are breaking world records in this shoe, there's carbon fibre plates in there, there's questions whether they should be legal or not, uh, but that's the same as anything in a shoe. How much, how much technology goes into a shoe before it gets banned? Some shoes have, some haven't. Uh, but they're breaking records everywhere. These runners are running 17 seconds per 100 metres for 42 kilometres. Eliad Kipchoge, who just did a sub-two-hour marathon. It's like a sprint. 17 seconds, like... We could go out there and I guarantee all three of us could do that right now. I know I can turn around and come back. Oof. 420 times in a row without Oof. rest. Jesus. It's insane. So their mechanics are that of sprinting. Their shoes will res respond to the mechanics that they have, which are that of sprinting. But then we go and put it on to us mere mortals who might run a marathon in four hours. Or five hours. I see. Every 100 metres worth 30 or 40 seconds. Our mechanics are so different that that shoe now and everything in that shoe built for that speed that the elite are running at, it now can become problematic. Now, certainly, from a marketing point of view, it's beautiful because people will buy it because it's, it's worn by the best, the fastest, whatever else, but it's not necessarily the best shoe for them. But likewise, running around barefoot for 42 kilometres on concrete is not the best thing for you. So you're saying that the mechanics is different for someone running faster than someone running slower? Incredibly different. Can you give us like a really layman's explanation of Okay, so of if we look if we look at someone sprinting or running 17 seconds per 100 meters, they're called long distance runners, but they're long distance sprinters in my world. They have an incredible amount of hip drive, which is fantastic, but that leg turnover is such, their cadence and speed is such that that foot comes back underneath them when it contacts the ground. And so at the very, very worst, it contacts just in front of their body, which is beautiful. As it loads body weight on top, they spring off that foot. So it's like skipping. If you're skipping with a rope, but you're doing it really slow, like, and we'll make some noise in the microphone. You can basically imagine that you're not skipping very well. The rope's gonna stop. So when you're skipping, you have to hold a certain cadence where your foot, your arch, Achilles and calf, literally becomes a spring and then you just got to time the rope with that when you're running you've got that same spring you have when you're skipping so when you're when you're sprinting all of that spring is there it's natural it's built into us it's what we have with an achilles a calf and an arch so when you're running 17 seconds you utilize that spring when you're running slower than that 30 seconds 40 seconds 
is that you're not going to get that same spring. And if you have hip drive when you're running at that speed, you end up overstriding. Mm. So hip drive slash stride out slash high knees slash any of these drills for anyone who's not sprinting, they're not actually great drills to, to actually get good mechanics for running slowly or long and slow. They're great for running fast, brilliant for running fast, but not for running slow. So if you have hip drive, you will overstride, which is the devil of running. When your foot lands out in front of you, doesn't matter which part, heel, midfoot, forefoot, is that you have to get your body weight over the top of that foot before you can even think about generating into the next step. And that's like skipping like I just did before hitting the desk. Just boom, boom. It's like a car crash. Boom. Yeah, it stops that. It just hits straight into a wall. Big time. Then you drive over it. So yeah, sprinting, sprinting and running longer distance are definitely different, different mechanics. But we love to watch the elite and then sit there and say, wow, look at that hip drive, therefore we need hip drive drills. Yes, if you can run that speed. Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, things, things change dramatically. So how do you, that would lead us to the, to the, the slave of the heel strike. So tell us a, a little bit more about what that actually means. Two ways to look at that. The first way is to just get people to jump up and down on their heels or to hand them a skippy rope, skipping rope and say, skip on your heels. It's never going to happen. There is no elasticity in our heels. So when you run, you can run with bricks, like feet that are bricks, or you can run with springs, which we're already born with. Now, heel striking on its own is not the problem. It's where the foot contacts the ground in reference to the body, in reference to the vertical body, is that I've worked with some runners whose heel does contact the ground first when they run. But it's a heel glance. It's not a heel strike. It's not mm. a thump. It's a heel glance. Is that they've got that turnover that they do have that hip drive. Fast runners do have that hip drive. The foot's actually coming back underneath them and the heel glances the ground as before they even take even any weight, they're onto that midfoot, onto that forefoot, and they're off again. Now, for me to say to those people, oh, heel strike, bad, evil, run on your toes, it's going to be disastrous because their mechanics are actually beautiful. And so heel striking or landing on your heels when you run out in front of your body will keep me employed, will keep surgeons employed, physios employed for a long time to come. And also the shoe companies because people are looking for the most cushy shoe they can to land on that heel where there's nothing good about landing on your heel out in front of your body. So heel striking for me, I don't, I don't demonize heel striking, but I do make people at any, in my clinic or in a workshop just jump up and down your heels for me, great then I say, why the hell would you run like that? But I also never teach people to midfoot strike or forefoot strike. The reason is that the part of your foot that contacts the ground first when you run will change. But if you're a midfoot striker, no matter how steep the hill is, up or down, whatever the camber of the road, you're going to try and hit with that midfoot, which means you hit the ground heavier because you'll be midfoot, boom, 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 mm. forefoot. And so it, it actually changes. And the biggest reason it changes is speed. The faster I run, the closer to the front of my foot will be my ground contact. Toes, forefoot, somewhere there. When I get a little bit slower than that, some interval sort of work, it'll be a bit more midfoot. When I'm running really long and slow, I'm no elite runner. When I'm running really long and slow, it's almost my entire foot. And when you watch toddlers run, they don't run on their toes. They don't run on their heels. They run on their feet. They don't think about which part of the foot has to contact the ground first. So the part of your foot that contacts the ground first will change with speed massively. 
And so you, to sit there and say you have to be a midfoot striker just means that people force it. Whereas what I want is I want the feet to be springy. I want the feet to be strong. I want the feet to contact the ground as close to under their hips as they can. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, being in shoes and not having that proprioception or that risk of potential, you know, mixing from uh, concrete to grass to rock and having a more of a, a cautious approach to running has somehow, like, because we're wrapped up, we're not thinking about that. We, we tend to strike with whatever is most convenient for me at the time. Is that, does that play a part in how we've kind of come to where we are now? Definitely. Look, there's a reason why toddlers don't overstride. They don't take big, long strides. They don't land on their foot out in front. They don't land on their heels out in front. Mm. But then they start wearing big, clunky shoes and it starts to happen. So they lo we lose feel when we've got shoes on. My analogy of putting gloves on your hands and you lose dexterity and it's coordination. We lose feel with shoes on, but also we've got this big, cushy substance, whether it be gel, whether it be air, whatever the company's waves, whatever their actual point of difference is in how they make their shoes, we've got these to land on. So... No, it wasn't natural originally to overstride <coughs> and to land on the heels. But as we start to wear these shoes, it just starts to be the norm. But some, some people could turn around to you and say, well, what's wrong with that? Like my, my child's foot protected from potential sharps and hazards and that kind of stuff. And that uh, you've, you've got this shoe that's got motion control, so they're less likely to roll their ankle or, or anything like that. What, what are the like, long-term effects that you can get from from producing a poor, poor mechanics for uh, your running and from your foot strike? Weak, uncoordinated feet. So 33 joints in each foot that literally don't do their job, don't know how to work. And the consequences of that are anywhere up the body. It's, it really, for me, is barbaric to take something that is the norm, that is strong, that is working, that is healthy, and change it. Now, it's not barbaric to do that given that we didn't know supportive shoes were doing this at a young age. We, mm. My parents didn't put me in Clark's saying, ha-ha, we're going to ruin the feet. None of that's wrong. But as we learn more and more and more, and even just to think about it, is that if something is strong and healthy, why would we ever want to make it weak? Now, I, one of the problems is that we're all in the world of fitness and health. And I call it human performance. And I'm not talking about elite. I'm just talking about performance. We think about sleep. We think about nutrition. We think about movement. We think about our feet. Now, a lot of people might think about the other things and not feet just because it's not a big open subject and they're always in shoes. But in the, in the bigger, broader world, they're not here in this podcast. They're not necessarily in my clinic. And so they are just wearing shoes and they don't know the consequences. So really it's about sharing information and saying, hey, it's not that you will have problems, but hey, you've got something awesome. Your feet currently are assets. You don't think of them as that because they just do their job, but eventually you're making them a liability. And whatever your 33 joints in each foot do, they feed straight up into your ankles, knees, hips, and back. But that feed can either be a positive feed or a negative feed. And so the consequences are literally pick your poison. And look, there's people who wear supportive shoes, high heel shoes their whole life, and you know, they'll say they never have a problem, Good on them. Usain Bolt's feet are absolutely hideous. He has huge bunions. He's got triangle-shaped feet. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, LeBron James, they've got hideous feet. If they had better, stronger, healthier feet, would they have been better athletes? No, they're freak athletes. Mm. And they were in shoes that were too small for them. They just they got by, so they got big sponsorships. So their feet are hideous. 
So I don't know if Usain Bolt would have been a, a faster runner had he had better feet. Don't know. Because it wouldn't have changed any of the other aspects to what he was as an athlete. Man, when I first started wearing the shoes, I was still playing soccer three times a week um, and playing on the weekend and stuff. And man, it was tough to find soccer shoes, that soccer boots that had... Because like, they're really narrow. A lot of them are super narrow. Um, you got the Copas were okay, but pff, they were too expensive for me. They're like 250 yeah. bucks a pair or something. And a big plastic plate on the bottom that doesn't actually really move. It's really plastic. Yeah, and the heel comes up. It's like a heel cup yep. and it's hard plastic. But um, yeah, the, my feet just used to wreck in those things. Actually, it reminds me of uh, when me trying to convince people, um, not as articulate as you are here, convincing the people about, you know, trying to preach to them about how good bare feet are. I remember when we did the clinic and you showed me is my the best example. I'll get them to take their shoe off, and then I take the inner out and I and I and I get them to take the sock off and then put their foot flat on the ground and then lay the inner of their shoe on the ground and then get them to put their bare foot on it. And every single time, the foot would just spread and the feet would spread and it, there would just be like an, an overhang where their feet were overhanging over the inside of their, their shoe inner. But they're comfortable. Apparently. I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I think I changed a few people's minds for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. shape of shoes is super duper important. Uh, we can argue in my professional podiatry about support and cushioning and there is a time and place to have cushioning, absolutely. As I said earlier, I'm not a big fan of people running on concrete in bare feet or yeah. minimalist shoes. Yes, it can be done, great. I can do it, great. But is not for high volume. No, that's exactly yeah. right. I'm not training for you know a sub three hour marathon where I'm putting in those, those miles. Mm. So I'm not a fan of that, so there's a time for cushioning. How much? Well, that depends on the person. Depends on their recovery, which is a whole other topic. Because a lot of people who are training hard for such big events, they've got a corporate job or a busy <laughs> job, they own their own business, they've got kids, uh, and so their recovery is not that optimal. So if a shoe is going to help them achieve a goal, even orthotics going to help them achieve a goal, it's not the end of the world. It's just having the information of, well, hang on, but what are you wearing to work? Oh, well, I'm wearing stiff, rigid, pointy, high heel shoes. And again, that's the man. So you spend 60 hours a week in those stiff, rigid, pointy leather shoes, but then expect your feet to work when you run. So there's a time for cushioning. Support, there's absolutely a time for support. There's a reason we have knee braces, we have slings, we have plaster casts. There's a reason we need, I need orthotics in my clinic. There's a reason I need these things because there's a lot of feet that come in very broken. There's a lot of people that come in on top of them that are very overweight and telling them that it's going to take a couple of years to get strong, healthy feet, I'm not joking. They might not have a couple of years in them. So there are times when we need to support. But the one thing which has never, ever been shown to me to be beneficial in any way, shape or form is a shoe that is not the shape of your foot. Think sure. about that. Think yep. about putting a glove on that is not the shape of your hand. Now, everyone listening, unless you're driving, I don't want anyone to yell at us and crash, but think <coughs> about it for a moment. Put your fingers together. Squish them together and see how long you last. Think about opening a tight jar now. What do you want to do with your fingers? Spread them. What about if you're doing a push-up and your fingers were taped together? Now you want to spread them. So our fingers provide balance, stability, and strength by being able to spread. They don't have to spread to their widest, but if you put them together, you lose a huge amount of strength. Same with feet. Our toes are actually important, especially that big toe. That big toe is so thick and chunky for a reason. It's your balance, stability, and strength. And if you pull that out of position, then your arch, 
starts to become destabilized. Eventually, we can call it collapse, but it just becomes weak. Now, everything up the chain is out of alignment just because you pulled your big toe. I, I just call the big toe car ties. Feet in general, but big toe. Your big toe is meant to point roughly where you're going. Yeah. Forwards. Yep. If you pull it sideways, it doesn't work very well. So the shape of a shoe is just, there's no debate. It should be the shape of a foot. You should be able to fit your toes in there. So given that the majority of shoes available today, and this is ranging from work shoes to school shoes to uh, training shoes, are shaped like a triangle or not shaped like a, like a fan, you'd say, but would you say that there's, a, there's an ec- epidemic of poor, poorly functioning feet? Definitely. Look, I'm biased. On the Western culture, at least. I'm definitely biased on that because it's my life. I, I do occasionally get healthy feet in my clinic and it's often some, someone that's come to see me for problematic feet but brought their kids in just to check on how they're going because they thought, wow, let's mm. just sit there and get all the information now and I love those appointments. I occasionally get people into my running lab and their feet are fine because they're not broken. They want to learn how to run better. But for the most part, my entire career is about feet that I call them broken. I don't mean necessarily broken bones, but something's broken, something's sore, something's not working. So I'm a bit biased on that question because that's all I see all day, every day. But short answer, yes, is that we have, we are wearing shoes that are triangle shaped. People like to tell me that uh, bunions are genetic. So bunions are when you get a big lump on the outside of your, your big toe joint, your big toe is heading across towards your second toe. And eventually your second toe might start to sit over the top of your big toe. Mm. Uh, just Google bunion if you don't know what one is. They're, they're pretty heinous. People like to tell me Ooh. they're genetic because grandma had one too and, you know, Aunt Mavis had one as well and, you know, it's just genetic. There's no bone in the body or the big toe that at age 30 or 40 goes, you know what, I'm going left. I'm going this way. It's been good here but I'm going left. <laughs> I'm out of here. Like if you wear triangle-shaped shoes long enough and your feet end up looking like a triangle, it's not genetic. So can you tell the people out there uh, with this, uh, you know, they're, they're offered all of these triangular shoes, what is it that you look in, uh, in for a shoe? What, what are the big, I think you've got like three things, four things. You failed me, Paul. Oh, I thought I remembered them all. <laughs> all right. Should, you, should I try? Yeah, yeah, shoot at me and then I'll give it to her. Okay. Um, I remember uh, low heel rise. You want to something that doesn't have too high heel rise. Why is that? Um, it uh, shortens the length of your posterior leg. Uh, then you have the straight toe line, which is referring to what you just talked about with the big toe. has to have a straight line there. You don't want it turning away from uh, towards the lateral aspect. It's on um, the inside of the foot. Yeah? Inside of the foot. Um, and then the other one was, yeah, I think it might have been the, the width so, you to- so your toes can spread out. So something that resembles more of a rectangle rather than a triangle. Not bad. Not, Not bad. bad. All right. <laughs> it's All been right, a while so since we did the class. Absolutely. So I've got four features with a bonus one. So four features, the shoe needs to be light. Okay. Hands down, first rule, shoes need to be light. If you wear work boots, look, it sucks because it's hard to tick all the four features I'm going to mention, but find something light. Second rule is it should be close to the ground. So we're talking about the shoe in general being close to the ground. The thicker mm. the shoe, the less balance and coordination. So that comes down to that heel height as well is that when we lift the heel off the ground, so we lift the heel higher than the toes, we change the angle of all 33 joints in the foot, we change the angle at the knee, we change the angle at the hips. And the pelvis. Yes, so your pelvis will roll forward. Now, as your pelvis rolls forward, your glutes switch off. And you might go see someone who says, oh, your glutes are inactive, and you do a million clamshells. 
But if you wear shoes where your heels hide and your toes, they're going to switch off regardless. But the, the calves pop and so does the peach booty. Absolutely. And then what further up in the chest that? as well. <laughs> well, save that for Saturday night and yeah, Friday night. Yeah, yeah. So we want a shoe that's light. We want a shoe that's close to the ground. We want a shoe that's flexible. So if you grab the shoe at the ball of the foot and the heel, twist it long ways. Don't just see if the toes bend. Twist it long ways. Again, your foot's designed to, to turn in, out, up, down. It's even designed to pronate. But maybe we'll talk about that in a moment. So the, <laughs> Too sciencey, man. Yeah. Make sure the shoe bends and twists so that your foot can bend and twist. So we've got light, close to the ground, flexible, final rule, shape of the human foot. So then everyone says, do I have to wear those glove toes, the Vibram Five Fingers? I say if you want to, but they're pretty hideous. And I love mowing the lawn in them. I know, I've definitely seen you in them, T. Yeah, I, I used to wear them, but they got a bit, they're, they're actually really slippery. Yeah. I slipped over a few times and also you get little stones stuck between the toes. Plus, socially, they don't go down so well. Yeah. My yeah. wife fucking that's hates right. them. That's right. My yeah. wife yeah. hates them. That's, fair. that's why I mowed the lawn in them. But, that, you know, they were good to test and try. No, you don't have to wear those. There's plenty of other good shoes out there. So we've got four features. Light, close to the ground, flexible, shape of the human foot. Bonus fifth, comfortable. And that's huge. Yeah, it's a big one. Doesn't matter if they tick the four features, but they're uncomfortable because every foot's unique, every shoe's different. And so in some of the brands I love, I love to test and try shoes. And whilst they tick those four boxes, they just don't feel right. So they're just not right for my foot. So that's a very, very important one, comfortable. So you've, you've got an idea of what shoe you need to, have a, you know, no, to, to walk around in a healthy foot. But let's say, let's go back a step. Let's say I'm listening to this podcast. I didn't even know that my feet sucked. Well, I'm looking at them and I've, I've recognised the bunion. I've recognised that my, my toes actually should move but they don't uh, and now I'm starting to kind of figure out okay well what, what's the next step what, what do I what do I do now that I've that I've recognized a problem what's my first step first step is probably to take a step without shoes so a lot of people's <laughs> feet hurt when they don't wear shoes because they're so used to being in shoes but it makes them wear shoes more now I'm not saying to walk around so much you cause pain but we do need a, a little bit of that use it or lose it do you need shoes on to hang the washing out maybe in the middle of winter if it's really cold. But point is just think about a couple of times when you can walk around barefoot and expose your feet to a little bit of work. Just like joining a gym or if you're doing an exercise you haven't done for a long time, if you do too much too soon, you're going to get sore or you're going to get injured. Now, the other thing with feet though is you can't just ask them to do more and more work and expect them to be brilliant. I had a patient a while ago. He came to see me from Darwin. If he listens to this, he'll, he'll know who he is. Great guy, but he came to see me from Darwin with some sore Achilles. He ran barefoot all the time, even in Darwin, except in the middle of summer because of the obvious heat temperatures of the ground. His feet were the toughest I had ever seen in my life. He Whoa. had a stand-up desk. He had thick, thick leather for the skin on his feet. But the problem Sexy. was he made them tough. They wife were super must have tough. loved them and <laughs> rubbing up against her leg in bed. <laughs> Don't think you had a wife. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there was one area of his foot that wasn't working, and that was underneath the big toe. So the big toe joint, the big ball, the big toe joint there wasn't working. So whilst he actually reprogrammed his feet and made them tough, he didn't actually rewire them and train them to work properly without shoes again. So that was the focus. All right, if we get your feet now to actually work how they're supposed to and get that big toe joint and big toe being 
chief and bosses, they're supposed to be with the feet, you'll be fine. So yes, we need to expose the feet to a little bit of work, but then we've got to actually train them to do a job. Now, there are many, many ways to go about this, and in a one-on-one -on -one setting, you've got to sit there and work with the individual feet and find ways. But I have two tests that are like my prerequisites for surviving life, being active forever, and one is to be able to stand on one leg comfortably, easily, for 10 seconds on each foot. But the amount of people in my clinic that cannot do that. Now, it might be because of injury or it might have helped cause the injury. Now, that's just a test of how well your 33 joints communicate with your brain. Are we talking like, like el el elderly or...? Any age. Oh, gosh. Kids. People who oh, run no. 40Ks a week come oh, in no. and they think they need new shoes on your orthotics and I ask them to stand on one leg, they can't. And I'm like, hmm, maybe we don't need new shoes. Maybe this is our first problem. So first thing is that you need your feet to be coordinated. We call it motor control, proprioception, is we need them to work, all those joints, those 33 joints, we need them to work together as a team. And if they're not working together as a team, we need to retrain that. So the test becomes the exercise. So standing on one foot for 10 seconds, comfortably, easily. Lots of progressions from that if we need to. You can get them on balance mats, eyes closed, all sorts of different progressions, jumping, landing. But as a prerequisite just for life, if I'm 90 years old, my plan is to still be able to stand on one foot comfortably, easily. Every step of the day that you walk, you are on one foot till the other comes down. So if you can't stand on one foot comfortably and easily, what do you think is happening as you walk? It's just controlled falling till the next foot comes down. And then when you start to have falls or you get a, an Achilles pain or anything like that, oh, my balance is poor. Or an Achilles pain, oh, my shoes aren't right. Or something different. So the base of everything I do is balance and coordination. So standing on one foot. The second one is to stand with your feet underneath your hips and just come up slowly onto the balls of your feet. And if you look drunk and feel drunk but aren't drunk, <laughs> is we've got a problem with your big toe controlling your feet. So the first one's just a test of your 33 joints working as a team and with your brain being chief and boss, so the signals have to go up to the brain and back down to the muscles. Second one's a test of how well do your big toes control your movement. Now again, that becomes the exercise. So again, standing with your feet underneath your hips, I call it fives. Spend five seconds slowly coming up onto the balls of your feet, but keep your big toes strong the whole time. Hold for five seconds. Now we don't need to be ballerinas. We don't have to be on tippy toes. And then five seconds slow and steady back down to the ground until your heels feel the floor. Not collapse onto the floor, feel the floor. So it's called fives. Five seconds up, five second hold, five seconds down, but don't let that big toe lose control. And if you do, no rep, redo that one. And you only have to do five good reps once a day. What about the, uh, what about the bunion hmm. scenario? Because I see, I get uh, a lot of people that just started the gym or they've been in the gym for a while, but they've got the triangle foot and the bunion. If the big toe is on, on that funny angle, will, will this kind of exercise over time start to spread that out to where it needs to be? Because I'm guessing a lot of these feet are too far gone. Look, a lot are. And if someone spent 40 or 50 years working on a bunion by wearing triangle-shaped shoes, we're not going to solve that very, very quickly. There's lots of different surgeries for bunions. Now, my job is to try and keep people away from surgery in respect to sitting there trying to find a solution so they don't need to have surgery. There are times and place when surgery is necessary and then I can pick up the rehab and the re-strengthening afterwards. Because once that bone starts to go, the joint is changing shape. The question is, how much has the bone changed and how much is it still able to be pulled back into a healthy, straight position? 
Now, if you can still pull that back into a fairly straight position, wow, we've got a hope here. We've got an opportunity. I make a lot of wedges. You can buy them, but I make them because they just mold in there to separate the first and second toe. Mm. And so it pushes it back a little bit. Now, overcorrecting or pushing it really aggressively is going to get uncomfortable. So trying to straighten that toe, it's not going to happen quick because it took many, many years to become crooked and head the wrong way. Like my adductors. Yeah. So <laughs> it's going to take a long time to head Trying to get the middle the other split. Way. Trying to get the middle split. Yeah. It's a lifelong journey. One. But yeah, it's the same kind of scenario. Oh, slow and steady. Yeah. Very slow, slow and steady. And st- yeah. Very, very slow. <laughs> yes. So with the big toe, if we can get it a little bit straighter, we've improved function. Just a little bit more, improved function, but it's not going to happen quickly. Now, first step there is, are they still wearing the pointy shoes that push that big toe across in the first place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that toe separator is not going to fit in there anyway. Yep. So get rid of yes, that stuff. T- yes, T to exercises, even trying to spread the toes, like just actively spread toes. Actively move your big toe up with your other toes staying down. I'm doing these as you're on saying. The yeah, I can't help that's, it. That's <laughs> put on the ground, yep. And then leave your big toe down and lift your four toes up. Oh, yeah. I so being that. able to move your toes. Now, you don't have to play the piano with each individual toe. That's a good party trick if you want to you know, spend a lot of time, give up the middle splits and go for that one, T. Lifting the big toe is quite, quite tricky. I got the four. But the big one, big one's struggling. And when you look at his big toe, Tim, like, and you've seen... Thousands, I'm thinking, of feet and toes. What do you think about that big toe joint? <laughs> and that big toe, and just those feet in but general. But that left one's been, been disappointed lo- before. That's I was going to say, that left one doesn't look healthy. Yeah. How well does it bend? What are you talking about? It's still getting there. I got it stuck in a cage when I was grappling. and it. Yeah, see, but that big toe's pop. got movement. Yeah. And it's got movement because of what T does in that he's actually actively trying to get it to move. Mm. Uh, his, his fitness pursuits and passions, there's movement there. So that's the question is how much movement do you have? Now, if you've got movement, then we've just got to train the movement. But if you don't have movement, well... That's the first problem. Can we achieve it? Yeah, okay. And so depend on how much bony change, the nasty word arthritis, depends on how much bony change is there. depends on how much we can influence without, you know, a knife But something's always going to be better than nothing. Spot on. And that's why I said like a, a, a toe that is a little bit straighter is awesome because that's going to be used for thousands of steps today and tomorrow... And the next day. So I've learned in my podiatry and in the running stuff is that making little changes is the answer. Because if someone goes for a 3K run, it's 3,000 impacts with the ground, 3,000 repetitions, 3,000 steps. Now, if we think about running as repetitions, it changes everything. Instead of it being 3Ks, it's 3,000 opportunities to grind your knees to dust or to use your body well and move efficiently. Now, if we're squatting downstairs here in the gym, and you ask me to do 30 reps, no matter, you know, just get them done. I don't care if you do three by 10, I don't care if you do 30, but I want them to be perfect. Okay, well, I'm going to have to look at how, how many reps am I going to do at a time to keep that great form. And you're going to stop me if you start to see something shift. What if we do that with running? All right, you're going to take 3,000 steps to do 3Ks, but once your form starts to fall apart, stop, walk, flush out that lactate, go again. And I'm happy for you to do 3Ks, but I want every step to be really smooth and efficient. That's awesome. That's going to reduce injury rates by a huge amount, which increases performance. Because number one way not to perform or achieve your goal is to be injured. It's interesting that you say that because teaching somebody how to squat properly, if they don't know how to squat and with, all, with a bunch of uh, deficiencies and, and um, you know, 
tightness and weakness and the rest of it can take a, can take a long time. And the running gait is much more complex than a squat. It's, it's one-legged, it's plyometric, full body weight. You've got all these other elements you have to deal with uh, while you run, like gutters and people and trees and shit. Um, that, there, is there a step between getting out there and, and, and doing those repetitions uh, from going from walking to, to running? There must be something in between there that allows someone to actually take the, those first uh, strides with, with confidence, knowing that they're, they're, they're performing good biomechanics. Spot on, spot on. That's what I've touched on a couple of times with drills, is that to get someone ready to run has to be in a drill base, has to be broken down like any other movement. And so going from walking to running is just too big a gap. Going from injury in my clinic to getting them better to running is too big a gap. Because again, they might just go out for a lazy 3K because normally they do 20. That's 3,000 impacts with the ground at two and a half times body weight. And that's running pretty well. A lot of people are three plus times body weight per step. So prepping the feet is my priority in terms of you have to, for me, you have to have strong, healthy feet to run with. Why would you want to put weak, crappy feet into a shoe and then go and take 3,000 steps or 3,000 impacts with the ground at two and a half times body weight? It's just a recipe for disaster or a recipe to make more fan dangle shoes and mm-hmm. sell them the market. So to answer your question, T, is that if you have the balance and coordination, that's the base of my imaginary pyramid. It's a picture of pyramid. The base layer has to be balance and coordination. You can stand on one foot. You can do it with your eyes closed because, again, we're progressing beyond just surviving day-to-day life. We want, we want faster, more rapid balance coordination motor control. So you can stand on one leg with eyes closed. You can do the fives, no questions asked. Fantastic. There's other foot exercises we might have done. The next thing we need to introduce is spring. We need the arch through Achilles' calf. They are a team. Let me rephrase that. They should be a team to work together to be a spring. We need to train that. And we do that with what I call bunny hops. Now, bunny hops is very much skipping without a rope. So you take the rope away and they're just light little bunny hops on the ground. So skipping without a rope, balls of the feet come off the ground just like there's a little rope going underneath. Heels touch the ground, nice and light. We don't skip on our toes. Heels touch the ground, nice and light. But we do these bunny hops and doing it on a noisy surface is awesome. So wooden floorboards, brilliant. And you want to be a stealth ninja. Now, what this also trains is cadence. Cadence is elasticity. Cadence is mistaken for speed a lot of the time. And people will say, oh, you've got to run at 180 cadence to be a good runner or whatever it might be. What does cadence mean? Cadence is the amount of steps you take per minute. And the easiest way to do it is to say, righto, I want you to do these bunny hops really slow. Again, like the um, example before, skipping slowly. There's no elasticity. It's stop-start. So if you do bunny hops slow or skip slow, there's no elasticity. But that's how most people run is with a low cadence. It goes plonk, plonk, plonk. And it's very stop-start. And actually, it's very exhausting. Like if, if you do it's hard very... hard to watch when I see oh. it. With someone running down the road, clunk, like, clunk, it's hard to clunk. watch. And usually they're keeled over at the hips and their head as well. They're looking on the ground for pennies in case there's anything <laughs> there. So with the, with the bunny hops, we start to train that spring. Again, noisy surface. But my prescription is three lots of 10 seconds in one minute. So it's 10 seconds of bunny hops, rest. 10 seconds of bunny hops, rest. 10 seconds of bunny hops, there's your one minute. And doing that, depending on where they're at, maybe only a couple of times a day if we're coming off injury or if their feet and calves aren't used to it. 
But then we can increase the amount of minutes they're doing of that per day as long as the feet are adapting. And we train that spring that they then need to use when they run. But it's also training that natural cadence. So I used to get people to do that to a metronome, and I probably did that way back when we did our workshop. But I put that metronome away. I do use that with running in terms of getting into running mechanics. But with the bunny hops, we don't need a metronome because if you're slow, they don't work. If you're fast, you look stupid. And so there just becomes this natural little nice and relaxed bunny hops. But then we have to shift to one foot because people get bunny hops. It's going well. And this is the beauty of being in the clinic is that they'll have these exercises, but they don't know that single bunny hops is the aim. So they'll go and work on the bunny hops for whatever it is. Da, 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 da. They come back in. Then I'll say to them, how many feet touch the ground at any one time when you run? And they think it's a trick question because they're like, hang on, they're both in the air. Use both feet. And it's like, no, one. You run on one foot at a time while you run. So I say you have to be able to do single leg bunny hops. Now, if you can't do single leg bunny hops, why are you taking 3,000 steps in a three-kilometer run when your feet can't even do a single one on the spot? So they are the prerequisites slash the training is bunny hops. I love bunny hops because they won't hurt anybody as long as you control the volume. But you can because you're not asking them to do 3,000. You're asking them to do 10 seconds and then... After doing those three in a minute, we start to do more and more of those through the day to the point where I want them doing all over the place. Woolies, check out anywhere they possibly can. Now, got to be barefoot, so you've already ditched your shoes in Woolies and you look like tea, shopping. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, look, that drill started as a running drill for me, T, but it became one of my most important rehab drills. Now, not everybody that walks into my clinic is going to get to that point of doing bunny hops. There's a lot of people who will never be springy, and that's, that's fine. But it's a, it's a very important rehab drill to bridge that gap between walking slash life and running. Mm. So I'm going to go back to when we first met. And, and when I heard that we had a podiatrist coming in to give a, uh, a workshop, I'm going, to, I'm going to be honest here, I, w I wasn't very happy. I, 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 from my experience with the industry... And the, the the same coming from the same perspective that you that you teach, um, your approach to podiatry is very different. And um, to the podiatry community, it almost denounces what the current the current practice is. Uh, have you have you had any um, conflict with with the with the actual like the um, what do you call it the like the podiatry body? at all like how, how have they accepted your approach to to rehabilitation no conflict with the body but plenty of conflict from the big wigs or considered big wigs of the community uh lots more initially one of the biggest wigs posted a facebook um did a facebook post of me with hashtag shite and Ooh. i was like Ooh. so love that earlier on those things bothered me podiatry beef <laughs> Those things bother me a little bit in terms of like tr people trying to publicly shame, whatever else. But most of the time, those sort of comments would come through at 3 a.m. when I've been asleep for like six hours already. <laughs> and I thought, no, I win. I win. Yeah. But I stopped trying, to, stopped trying to fight. I stopped trying to convince anybody else. Mm. Like I'm not here to convince anybody else who doesn't want to sit there and, and hear or progress. The practitioners, podiatrists, physios, massage therapists... All of those that come to an electrician, I had an electrician at a practitioner workshop last year, it was spectacular. Uh, but all of these people that come to my workshops, they want to learn more. They want to offer more to their patients. And effectively, that's my aim now is to sit there and just teach what I know 
and pass that on to somebody else so they can take it and mold it into their own treatment, their own little specialties they use, and then to pass it on to their clients. So definitely heat, but way less now. And it, more, it might be more that I, I don't listen or I don't pay attention or I just keep pushing along on my own little, little channel and avenue and I've got people who love what I do. And for the ones that don't, that's fine. Now, the other thing, T, is that my, my work is not for 100% of people. My clinic is absolutely not for 100% of people. It might be for 5 or 10% of society in that they will do well in my clinic. And so someone has to be a little bit proactive. Somebody has to be willing to sit there and do a bit of work because I don't fix people. Now, it sounds philosophical, but it's not. It's all hindsight. Is that from when I worked out that I don't fix people, I work with them. It was, wasn't an overnight mind, uh, mind state shift, but it changed my work slowly but surely because I just tell people straight up that I'm not here to fix you, but if we work together, we can do anything you want. And it set the tone from the start that, hey, you're going to do your bit, I'm going to do my bit, but at the end, we're going to progress. And if we're not, we're going to sit there and think, hang on, there's something we're missing. So not the governing body because realistically, all I'm doing is strength and condition for feet. It's just another avenue. I don't say orthotics are wrong. I don't say orthotics are bad. I say, all right, what was that orthotic for? Okay, you had an injury. When was that? 2003, right. It's 2019. Your injury's healed? Yep. You're still wearing the orthotics? Yep. Hmm. Interesting. So it's more about getting people to think, why am I still in these? And common answers, I've got flat feet. Uh, look at their feet. I'm like, well, you don't. There's a little arch there. Yes, they're not working that great, but how about we work on that? So it's, it's, yeah, long answer T, but not anything because I'm not really doing anything against what podiatry is. It's just that podiatry tends to be more about support. I tend to be more about <coughs> coaching. Strengthening. Sound, it sounds yeah. like you're, what you're doing is coaching people. It, it, and that's why I love having you guys at my workshops. Mm. Uh, when I have personal trainers, coaches, whatever they want to call themselves or the electrician, any of these people <laughs> at my workshops, it's that you guys are on the front line. You guys will see the patients that end up in my clinic, but you'll see them before that. And, you know, I'm preaching to the choir with you guys, but I, I tell personal trainers, I'm like, how on earth are you teaching that person to squat when they have shoes on? Because what your foot does when you squat has a huge impact on where your knees are. And if you're trying to teach them to put their knees somewhere, but you don't know where their feet are, you've got to take their shoes off. And so the point is that you can sit there and sort of intervene slash intercept definitely, potential problems and it's not about treating injury or fancy things that pop up and come into my clinic no no it's about sitting there and saying hey your feet don't work what your job is in this clinic is to make people stronger healthier happier people mm. now if you can do that with feet it's just the same as the rest of the body so there's nothing wrong with teaching you guys how to make a foot strong there's no crossover there there's no oh that's a podiatrist job no it's just muscles just bones, tendons, fascia. So if we can sit there and influence that more, then that's fantastic. The more that know, the better. Now, the electrician, since I've mentioned him twice, we ran around the room in last year's Strong Feet workshop, uh, physio, podiatrist, soft tissue therapist, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and then electrician. Everybody stopped and looked at him. And he said, I'm just here to learn. But his story was that he had a lot of issues with his body, 
had a lot of issues just with aches, pains and injuries and had gone down the merry-go-round of typical treatments in multiple different fields. And he just thought, I'm going to learn this stuff myself. So he has no degree in any of that stuff, but he knows so much and he's only in it for himself, which will then pass on to his family, friends that want to listen, which is fantastic. He was fantastic. Now, over the weekend, if something fancy popped up, um, he might sit there and say, well, what do you mean by that? I say, ah, that's just your big toe joint. There's just fancy words for it. Uh, But otherwise, he wasn't biased by any formal training. And so when we went through things like gait analysis and gait retraining, which is so important because we take thousands of steps every single day, he wasn't sitting there pulling up all the weird, wacky things that the podiatrists were because we're taught to look for problems. And, oh, you've got a plantar flex first ray with a medially deviated subtalar joint axis there. And he was just sitting there saying, man, they walk heavy. It's cool. Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, he, just, yeah. He, he looked at what was there from a broader point of view, which yep. is a lot easier to solve the broad things than the you know, one percenters. And he fit in great. And everybody commented afterwards and said how well Nick the Sparky did at that workshop. <laughs> it was awesome. It was great. Um, can I ask you uh, about the, because we were talking a lot about kids' feet, the three of us all have kids here and we're into the bare feet thing. And for the listeners out there who may be there being a little bit com- more convinced now, um, so good shoes are hard to come by. We sell the Vivo Barefoots here. Do you? Well, we have them on display. <laughs> can we have a little conversation about um, availability of good shoes and, you know, the big companies and how they may or may not be uh, suppressing this good message, uh, you know, for their own ends? By far, the hardest part of my job is this part, shoes. So strength and conditioning for feet, fantastic. Teaching people about feet, love it. And people say, that makes sense, brilliant. Okay, what shoes do I buy? And that's when it's like... Hmm. You wish you, were, you, you had more to... Yeah, like yeah. We, exactly here. right. It's, it's really, really hard out there because if you walk into a shop, you're not going to find shoes that tick the four boxes I spoke about before. It's very rare to find them. You can find them often at Kmart or Big W or some random store for <coughs> little feet, but you'll never find that same shoe again. So a parent will come in and they'll literally say to me, oh, we're buying them real shoes soon after we see you. But after I go through everything, I hand them back the shoe, the $12 shoe, and say, what do you think of this now? And they say, well, um, I think it's pretty good. I'm like, yeah, it's light, it's close to the ground, it's flexible, the shape's pretty good. I said, that's the best 12 bucks you spent. Mm. Trouble is, going back to Kmart or wherever, they're not going to find that same shoe year after year or month after month as they grow. So you can find shoes that I've never heard the brand of, probably never will again, just by following those four features. Thing is, we need a steady, consistent supply of shoes, especially for school. Now, there are black leather shoes. Vivo Barefoot are my favorite brand of kids' shoes by a million miles. But over the last five, maybe six years, I don't know how long it is now, but of working with them and my kids wearing them, they don't own any other shoes, is that it's often very, very hard to get the shoes at the right time. You know, we, it's a UK brand. We are a unique market in Australia and our school year is different, calendar year. Our months, believe it or not, are completely different, our seasons. So we get the winter supply in summer, we get the summer supply in winter. And <coughs> it's just not easy. But the kids' stuff, the kids' shoes arrived in May this year. Now, we know when school starts. It's not May. So mm. it's hard. I had to buy my, my kids' school shoes in uh, America this year. 
And when they did come in May, I grabbed the next size, like next four size, they're sitting in my garage. So that's the problem is that if I'm stocking up on shoes because I don't know when the next batch is coming, how can I really tell someone, hey, go to this shop, go here, buy online. Now I can buy my kids these Vivos online when they do pop up because they're very consistent with sizes. So if one of my kids is in a 29 and I know next, or the next size again needs a 30, great. But for the first time, it's not easy. So in my clinic, when there's stock, I keep one of every size in kids. I keep one of every size in adults. That way people can try on a shoe. We can work out what size they are. We will order in the other style that they want. And it's the best we've got at the moment because besides a shop in south of Melbourne, there aren't shops that are specialising in these sort of shoes and having stock on hand. The other problem is it's just not stock in the country. I saw some shoes downstairs. I called them relics. I said they were like, <laughs> and they're amazing shoes. Some of my favourites ever with Vivo Barefoot, but they're not making them anymore or there just hasn't been stock for at least nine months. And it's, look, they're a small brand, so I do hear some of the ins and outs of what goes on and how much they're trying and where they're at. And like, I wouldn't get involved with it financially. It's not an easy road to sit there and go up against all the big guns and, you know, just slug away trying to convince people to stock their shoes when they're just not going to sell that much initially, that's for sure. Mm. So Vivo Barefoot's my favourite kids brand of shoes. No, they don't have an all-white shoe. And so when schools want an all-white shoe, we're in a lot of trouble because there's just not many left. Why do they want that for? Uh, Sports or something? Sport. Oh. And it's like they're in the Navy and they're in their, you know, dress. They're pretty uniform. loose at my son's school. Yeah, likewise mine. Uh, my, my kids will wear their sport shoes on school day, school shoes on sport day. They'll yeah, go to yeah, tennis yeah. lessons barefoot or in their school shoes. Yep. It's the same shoe. It's yeah. just different colour. So if they need a white shoe, the problem is there's not many left. But let's think about that for a moment. Four days a week, they wear a black shoe that's not designed to do anything in except stand still on a stilt or a high heel. So there's black leather shoes. One day a week when they're allowed to run around for sport, they wear a white shoe, which is the one that will get dirty anyway. They've got to polish it up every week to look nice. So that's what a lot of private schools is, a lot of Catholic schools. They're still requiring that. There are quite a few schools that are relaxing the sport shoe, which is great because there's just not a lot of white left. Mm. But yeah, black leather. Look, there's a few other players coming into the market, which I love to see. And again, they're often very small, so I can reach out to them personally and sit there and ask what their plans are, what they're doing. And I will support all these brands like a million percent, but never financially because you know, we've all got our own battles, businesses yes, to run. Yeah. And it's not an easy market out there. So as much as they might frust- I get frustrated when there's no stock, it's the, again, the more I learn about the industry, it's, it's hard it's work. It's understandable. Yeah, it's hard work. Well, I guess you have to change culture. And fashion is, is a very strong uh, driver. It's amazing. I, even there will be people that listen to this podcast and they'll know, okay, I need to make the change, but they won't yeah. because they've got to get rid of that, that, that shoe that they, that, that's socially acceptable in, in their line of work. Yeah, look, the work one's the one that I work most on. Think about the shoe you wear the absolute most. It's going to be your work shoe for most people. Or for kids, it's going to be their school shoe. If we can make a change, again, a change, even if not perfect, we can make a change to those shoes for 35 hours of school, for 50 to 60 hours of work, including travel, if we can make a change to those, it goes a long way looking at the long term, even at the medium term. So the shoe doesn't even have to be perfect. It's just got to be better than what it is currently. But yeah, the social one, wear whatever the hell you want. You know, Mm. hopefully you're not socializing 60 hours a week. So wear whatever you want. 
But if you look after your feet at work, then you're going to have more choice in terms of what you're going to wear to socialize because your feet won't be beat up, you won't be broken. And I just say to people, if they're going somewhere nice, wear whatever you want, just be as comfortable as you can. Mm. Well, that's, that's where things start to change, isn't it? Because the, the shape of your foot over time starts to, to change and then you go back to your favourite favorite shoes and you're like, oh my gosh, these things feel bloody horrible. Well, that's mm. the silver lining for me because I sat there and said, wear whatever you want. Yeah. But because their feet are doing better, they go into them, they go, I can't wear them anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it does become a one-way street. I tell patients that. I say, hey, you don't need to buy a whole new wardrobe now, but you will start looking in the future, well, what am I going to wear to that wedding? What am I going to wear on this? What am I going to wear mowing the lawn? I'm not wearing those old crappy joggers with pointy toes. It's true. It's, it's like when you start getting jacked and you can't fit your work shirt anymore. <laughs> it's the same thing. You've got to get a new wardrobe. <clears throat> I <laughs> don't recall that. <laughs> we, we famously went to uh, a member... Uh, of the gym, we went to his wedding. It was in the city, uh, and it was up on the top of Martin Place at a church there. And we, the reception was down at uh, at Ivy Bar. So you walk through Martin Place, and it was a great day. It was so much fun. Um, so we dressed up, and we're in the suits, and you know, you're taking photos and whatnot. And uh, there were some members there, and they were freaking out because uh, they never see T wearing shoes. And they're like, "Oh my god, this is the you know." It's tea wearing shoes. Pointy I never see heels. you. I never see you in shoes. Oh. And it was so funny because by the time we left, we were like up in the ivy. We walked out. T like took his shoes straight off. He was in pain all night oh, and he was man. hiding it. And oh. it was just funny because we were walking for cabs through Martin Place and T was just walking with like no shoes on. Oh. <laughs> just, just like a lot of females at about like yeah, three a.m. carrying yeah. their high heels over yeah, their shoulders. Exactly. Yeah, that was pain. He was in, was pain. in pain, bro. Yeah. But testament to the human body is that that just becomes the norm. For a lot of people. And eventually it just tunes and it down. It's just is what it is. It's is crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And that's what I mean by like people say their shoes are comfortable. And that's okay, but you're paying me a lot of money to try and fix a problem which has been created by your shoes. Yeah. So you can continue to come and see me every week, but we'll get bored of each other pretty quick. Or we can sit there and look at the shoes and then we can strengthen your feet. It's such a shame because the change that's required to shift the industry is just too big. Like the school thing. And it's funny because we, this year, we had a private school in kind of southwest Sydney reach out to us. Um, and it was the sports coordinator. And he said, Oh, we've seen your stuff. We love what you're doing. Uh, we've identified that over the course of the last few years, we've witnessed our students become less coordinated, uh, weaker, um, less confident in physical pursuits and otherwise. And they're reaching out to us because they want us to do a school program. And that's been over a number of years. Over a number of years. Yeah. So I, we, I think that's great just initially so cool, hey? of noticing that. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's awesome. So anyway, we did a, a three-week three trial which turned into seven weeks. And if all works well, we'll be doing a kids program there um, next year. Uh, and that will go for the year if it works out. Um, really cool though. But it's, it's like that kind of realisation, that fella there, um, shout out to Greg... And Linton over there, uh, they, uh, like somewhere in that is like the, maybe the beginning. Because really, when I look at the kids and I went there and worked with them uh, firsthand, a lot of uncoordinated kids, really uncoordinated. And of course, I go there and I'm like, whenever you come to these sessions, wear shoes off for these sessions. Like, oh my God. Was oh that okay God. with the school? It was fine. Good. Yeah, it was good. They, they let me do whatever I want. Because they often have like insurance reasons. Same gyms will say you've got to wear shoes for insurance reasons. Yeah. But it's not really written anywhere that no, you have to. Not. And let's go to the gym one just very quickly is that if you drop a weight on your foot in a jogger, 
Yeah. It's not any difference if you're barefoot. And I will argue that when you're barefoot, you know where your feet are. Way more cautious, too. Yeah, I've yeah. never dropped yeah. a weight on my foot, <laughs> ever. But yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that sounds like a... Not even a pilot program, but a perfect example of just someone in the right position, Greg, yeah, yeah. who sat there and went, we need to do something. And you guys who are you know, spreading your message, he went, well, hang on, let me talk to these guys. Now you can combine forces. And the real benefit there is the kids. Because mm, mm. what you guys are teaching them is not just to be barefooted, sitting there just showing them movement, teaching them movement, upskilling them. Mm. But maybe some of those kids went home and climbed a tree. Yeah, hopefully. And I'm not joking, yeah, yeah. like literally. Yep. Maybe some of them went home and climbed a tree or just did a little bit more. And, you know, that could be a pivotal moment in just even if it's like a handful of those kids going forward. They're the things you can't really measure unless you're doing some, you know, long-term scientific study. But some sort of like, uh, you know, collaboration with someone uh, as visionary as, say, Greg would be uh, if you can convince a school and the whole school's policy is these are – this is our policy. Our policy is no longer white or Mm. black. Our policy is now barefoot shoes for all our our kids and – uh, they're down near Bankstown, they've got kindy through year 12. And you imagine if that became a policy and what would happen over 12 years' time. Well, that's, a, that's the type of thing and that, that you're that, like, that's the crap. kind of stuff that starts trend and that yeah, it can happen. But it's so big. Yeah, things happen. Yeah. Well, my kids, uh, my two youngest particularly in their class, the twins, they've got a reward policy in terms of just, let's just call them gold stars and you get so oh, many, yeah, you yeah, get yeah. to choose an, an award, a reward. And one of them is shoes off for the afternoon. And I that's sat there and looked and I said, it's a reward to take your shoes off. Does that mean shoes oh, on is a punishment? <laughs> and so just spinning it, I was like, well, shouldn't we have shoes off? Mm. And then the teacher can sit there and go, Johnny, if you don't sit down and be quiet, we're going to put <laughs> shoes on you. Right now, we're going to put shoes on you. <laughs> don't so make true. me. That is so true. Yeah, so look, it's, it's something that needs the right people in the right place to hear the message and think, wow, we could take action here. Look. We could go on about chairs as well and how much kids sit and how little physical activity that they do do at schools these days. You know, sport day, I think it's the twin sport day today. I'll go home and I'll ask them what they did for sport and sometimes they'll say, no, we didn't go out today. Now, last week was because of the smoke and it's just kind of an <coughs> overbranching, even though we're like, I didn't really see any smoke today, but there's just something higher up that said no. But yeah, so there's just, it's just not enough of just running around and being kids. Yet, there's plenty of research showing how much more active the brain is, how much more attentive students are when they do more physical activity during the day, as well as us adults in a work environment. And, you know, Especially we know free that. play. Yeah. The free play is the important one, isn't it? Uh, can you tell me who your two amazing coaches were? Because I'm guessing they made a, a fairly big impact on your life and potentially changed the direction <laughs> of, of your, 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 your practice yep. in general. So it was actually two and a half. So there was Jason Donaldson, who I did a... It was called CrossFit Endurance back then. But it was a running... It was a running-based program. It was coaching. It was education. And he works with Brian McKenzie in the US. And I also did a running uh, program with Brian in the US when I was over there. So Jason was first. But at the time I met Jason, very shortly after that, um, I also met Lee Saxby, who's from the UK. Now... Jason and Brian are both entrenched with pose running. Pose is a method of running and it's, it's basically you can learn how to do pose running on the internet or with a pose running coach. And Lee was, I hate pose. Now, the underlying principles of both were very similar, but um, I think Lee was anti-pose because it was a little bit, well, it was structured, but it also he had his own way of doing things. So he wasn't going to sit there and say, well, pose is awesome. Either way, 
is that I combined both of those and did both of what they told me. And the end outcome in a matter of weeks, it's probably about six weeks, was just people who I ran with were saying, Tim, what have you been doing? And that was the best. I felt good, but they're like, Timmy, like, what's, what's going on? And it was just drills that I did. It was mechanics. It was working through cadence. It was literally spending a few minutes each day just working through this stuff, and it just got easier. So that's where eventually the whole running lab came from, was like, now I need to sit there and take what I've learned, combine it with my podiatry, combine it with strengthening feet, and that's just what my work is, constantly evolving. But yeah, so they were the three coaches. Awesome, man. Um, I think we'll probably wrap it up there. We've already kind of gone 100, over an hour 20. Um, I love to have you here and just preach the good word because um, I, I strongly believe in all this stuff and sometimes it gets lost because I'm so used to being barefoot and I had my, my spring or my light bulb change many years ago now and I forget to remind people that, you know, it's one of those simple things that you should start changing now and it's like footwear and all of that. It's so good to have you here. We're probably due for another workshop. We definitely have a new wave of members, probably a couple of new waves of members since you last came and ran one. Um, so I'd love to try and make that happen. So as a final closer for me, I mean, workshop definitely, we can get to that. But as a final closer, it's just think about your feet as the same as the rest of the body. Think about them as use it or lose it. Think about them as doing a little bit more at a time, so gradual overload. And just, just know that your, your feet can get stronger. It doesn't matter if you've been told you've got flat feet, your feet pronate too much, they roll in, whatever else. They're just movements is that your feet can get stronger. And if you invest a little bit of time for them, they can become assets instead of liabilities. Like that's my big thing. You don't have to walk through Woolies barefoot if it's not your thing. You don't have to go to a wedding barefoot if it's not your thing. No. I got married barefoot. So did I, <laughs> actually. <laughs> I didn't. Oh. <laughs> it was before your spring. But uh, yeah, I was in Hawaii too, so I really have no excuse. I needed the extra height. No, they were, there was no heel. There was no heel. They were flat. Oh. Actually, I put those wedding shoes on uh, about two or three weeks ago for the first time since my wedding. Yeah. I went to a wedding in Florida and God, they were bloody comfortable. So even though it was okay. a long time ago, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I did all right. But no, literally treat your feet like the rest of the body and don't accept that they're weak and hopeless. Just know that you can improve them. It's not overnight takes a long time, but yeah, sit there and strong feet. Nice, man. So how do people, how do people find you and what are you offering? So you've got your workshops, you've got, your, you've got, an, online, you've got an online program? No, you don't, you don't, you do. No, I've, look, I've got, uh, my clinic is down in Wollongong and everyone says, oh, do you come to Sydney? I'm like, for podcasts, for friends, yes, but hmm. it's not that far. So I've got my clinic down in Wollongong, um, wollongongpodiatry.com.au therunninglab.com and yes, there's workshops, but I don't run workshops all the time. So people can find me. Uh, that's not a problem. I do have online courses, a running one and a strong feet one. I'm working on a new version, which is going to be fantastic. Just need to find the time to uh, record a ridiculous amount of videos and put that together and make sure that that's awesome. But yeah, so not here to offer, just here to sit there and say there are people out there who will give you an alternative in respect to just supporting weakness with feet. And I'm certainly a place where you can find that. I've had over 100 practitioners and coaches go through my Strong Feet two-day workshop. And so they are around and I do often get inquiries about, hey, do you, do you know someone in Melbourne? I'm like, yeah, I do actually. Uh, do you know someone around here? I'm like, mm, let me find out. 
So yeah, it's, it's trying to find somebody who has a similar mindset, which is why I love to teach other practitioners and coaches. Awesome. And if anyone wants to geek out on a bit more of your work, they just get on your website? Websites, yeah. Instagram, I believe I've posted a few times this year, so I'm, I'm pretty irregular on that. But that is the underscore running underscore lab. Uh, Facebook would be the running lab. And so I'm definitely out there. Um, I just don't, I don't spend a huge amount of time on social media, but there's plenty of content out there. Very cool, man. Nice, okay. Tim. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, to our listeners, uh, you can find anything to do with Jungle Brothers at junglebrothers.com. Um, follow us on Instagram at Jungle Brothers Movement. You can find us on Facebook too. Reach out if you need a hand with any training. We've got our BJJ. Uh, well, it's up and running now, but the full timetable will kick off late January 2020. Um, and it's going to be a big year for us. We've got a few things coming up, so watch this space. Thanks, listeners. 